Good morning, Karen. Welcome to Wellness Spring. Hello, Beverly. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. And it's been a delight to be able to chat with you last week and to see you again today. And for the audience, I would like to introduce you. Karen Swain is a teacher of deliberate creation, a spiritual mentor, educator, inspirational speaker, host of Accentuate the Positive Media, author of Return to Love and Awakened by Death and creator of the Awakening Soul series. Plus, she is also one of Australia's foremost thought leaders and change agents, showing you the way to a more joyful, connected, multi-dimensional life. And before we delve into all that, maybe you could tell the audience a bit about your background, because I know on your website, you have an amazing story to share. And I love the way you've been so honest about your upbringing, your family, and so forth. An amazing story to share. It's funny. I, I don't see my story as amazing because you live it. You never see your own story as amazing because you live it. But when you hear other people's stories, I think their stories are amazing. I'm like, wow, that's an amazing story. But, yeah, so I was born into a you know, reasonably affluent family. And my father and mother were uh, the beautiful people in the high society of Sydney. And they used to be in the papers every weekend, not because they were renowned or famous for anything, really. They just were like those society folk that, um, you know, went to parties and things like this. And the papers used to say, oh, there's Mr. and Mrs. Paul Swain at this party looking beautiful. And behind the scenes, there was like huge drama. You know, dad was beating up mum and mum was depressed and like there was all sorts of crap going on. And then <laughs> and the three of us, there were three kids in the family at that time, were all hating each other. We were just replicating the dramas that were playing out in the very dysfunctional marriage. Dad came from wealth. Mum came from um, sort of meager, meager, you know, like a poor, I wouldn't say poor, but working class background. And uh, she was uh, she was like beautiful and on the stage. And uh, when Frank Sinatra came to Australia, he said to somebody, who's the most beautiful woman in Sydney? And they rolled out mum and he went on a date with her. And and there was all this all this stuff going on. But behind the scenes, there was huge dysfunction. And then dad eventually leaves mum. She's in her mid 40s for a pretty model a 20-something-year-old model, and mum hated herself to death. It took her about five years to hate him and hate herself, and she was riddled with cancer by the time the doctors opened her up. She was in her late 40s, and they just said to her, go home and get your you know, things in order. You're going to die. Well, it took her about two years to die because she had young children. She was a single mother at the time, and so she just suffered with the cancer and the chemotherapy and like lost all this weight and all her hair fell out and you know she looked like a horror story until eventually she died and so when she died huge questions were born in me there were already questions like how can babies be born in sin that doesn't make sense so my parents were not religious at all they were society people they didn't think about spirituality or religion that was for stupid people in their mind you know 
<laughs> if you don't go to university and get a university degree, but in my father's mind, um, you were stupid. And if you thought about spiritual things or religious stuff, you were also stupid. That was what I was brought up in. And and so uh, I remember on my mother's deathbed, uh, you know, before she, um, a few weeks before she died, I went to see her in hospital and there was a priest standing over her uh, having a chat to her. And I was very confused about that. And when he left, I said, what are you doing, mum? Like, what's this guy doing in here? Because we had just no, nothing to do with religion. And she goes, I'm dying, Karen. I'm dying. And I'm like, I do realise that. And she's like, well, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen when I die. And I'm like, hmm, I guess you don't. You've never thought about it. So she was grabbing at straws, reaching out for something. Get the priest in here. Read the Bible. Quick, I'm about to die. Quick, read the Bible. Anyway, that made me think, I wonder where, you, yeah, I wonder what happens when you die. Like she was wondering. And so these questions were born in me. What happens when you die? Where do you go? And if you go somewhere, you come from that place, right? So what's that place? Like, what is this? Just millions of questions. And uh, that put me on my spiritual journey, really. Her death put me on my spiritual journey. So in the book, Awakened by Death, I speak about that in my chapter. But I also showcase about 12 other people's chapters that had a spiritual awakening through the death experience because death is such an amazing awakener, you know, like we bip along in life think that life is all about looking beautiful and making money and going on holidays and getting married and having children. But there's so much more to life and actually understanding death, you understand life better. And many people awaken to their multidimensional aspects of who they are as spirit, having a physical experience and not a physical person having a spiritual experience through the death experience because they start asking why you know like where did they go and can I contact my loved ones on the other side and so mum would come to me regularly in dreams and tell me she didn't die (laughs) 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 which really confused me because when I would wake up in the morning they were so real the dreams were so real and when I would wake up I would sort of shake my head and go oh my God, that was a dream because at the time it was real. So it was an astral experience, something I didn't understand, which is another level of experience, right? This is a level of experience, the physical experience. And then there are many astral worlds with different levels of experience that you can go and hang out with people that are not on the physical world. They're on different levels of astral worlds, right? This is just one of the worlds that we explore and play in. So in her astral world, she would tell me she's not dead. And then I'd wake up into the physical world and go, what was that all about? It was, it was confusing for me because in this world, in this reality, she was dead. And yet I was in another reality with her where she wasn't dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and anyway, that confused me for years, Beverly. But it kept, old, me, it kept me seeking. Sorry, how old were you? I, I was about six when she died. I was 16 when she died. Wow. And... Uh, and uh, I can't remember when the dreams stopped, but the dreams happened regularly for a number of years after that. And, uh, yeah, did but you, when you're in your 20s. Pardon? Did you keep a dream journal? No. No, I've never kept a journal. I've never written anything down, actually. I've never, I've never journaled. I was dyslexic as a kid and... Uh, I, I, you know, reading and writing were not 
not one of the things that that I love to do because it was difficult for me. So I never wrote anything down. And in fact, it's interesting that you ask that great question. I learned to read properly by reading spiritual books. My curious mind, I was so curious about all this stuff that the only way of really getting the information for me at that time, apart from channeling it from source, which I didn't know I could do, was to read it in books. We didn't have the internet. And by reading spiritual books, I actually taught myself to read because I never really learned to read at school. I was, I just didn't, I couldn't, I just couldn't work it out. But the desire to know forced me to read books and, um, and, and that like, I, yeah. So I taught myself to read after school because, you know, when what you're taught to read in school is nothing that's really interesting. And so you, you don't really have a desire to really overcome your challenges when it's not interesting to you, which is probably what happens with a lot of kids today, you know, that struggle with learning, learning disability, learning disorders, or they're not really given material that's really going to spark their level of passion or interest. And so they don't bother. Yeah. Especially Even like Richard, uh, not Richard. But... Richard Brunson. Mm -hmm. yeah. When you look at, when you look at Richard Brunson, who was dyslexic, you know, um, right. people would tell him you're useless, you're stupid. And I think when you're stuck right. mainstream education and not with special needs and people understanding, you know, your difficulty and what you're struggling with, you just get put down. Like William Whitecloud is a perfect example as well. People just ridiculed him. Even the teachers ridiculed him, you know, which I think is outrageous. And, you know, I've chatted with a few people who are dyslexic and it's almost like they're creative geniuses because it leads, yeah. <laughs> leads them to think outside the box, you know, and do yeah. which, um, you were obviously open for channeling and, um, you know, you had the desire to learn to read from the spiritual books because, um, yeah. A lot, a lot of people I meet, you know, lately who are mainstream, they're saying to me, you know, in school, we're, we're taught what to think and not how to think. And also, right, nobody, that's exactly right. nobody teaches us to stop thinking because we have over 70,000 thoughts a day. And, you know, our monkey mind is constantly going 20 to the dozen and um, it's the same negative thoughts and negative beliefs going over and over and over and over and I know you help people you know to become aware of their negative thoughts and their beliefs so would you like to explain how you help people that way yeah well mum was a great teacher for that you know because one of the main questions that I had when I was a child is why do you get sick? Like, why did she get sick? And what, what is the formula for not getting sick and, and having a healthy life and a happy life? And, and so I embarked, you know, after I did a lot of partying when I was in my twenties, <laughs> thought I wanted to be a fashion designer and all this sort of stuff, you know, was out partying and drinking like most kids in their twenties. How old was I? I was about 23 and I embarked on a, a naturopathy course uh, five years full time to try and answer some of those questions about health. And at, after five years full time study, I opened up a furniture and homeware shop because <laughs> I didn't find my answers. 
I just didn't find my answers. I tell you what, though, uh, you know, I learned a lot. And the thing that sparked my uh, passion the most was learning about uh, anatomy and physiology. Homeopathy I was passionate about, and I loved um, massage. I, I, I used to make money from massaging people. But I really felt like our school systems needed to teach anatomy and physiology in as depth as I was learning as a naturopathic student, which was as, in, in as, as depth as a doctor would learn, right? Because we carry these physical bodies and we have no idea how they work, no idea. And so now with what's happening in the world, and there is some narrative out there that, you know, there, there is a chance that you could get sick. Nobody has a clue about health and healing and, and how to get how they get sick. So they're all in the dark. Everyone's in the dark. And so we, you know, they're relying on the powers that be to give them their information about their own physical body. And, it, you know, what's happening in the world is so that desire I had at 23 or 24 and 25, you know, as I was studying, like everyone needs to know this stuff. Everyone should be as informed as I am being about how this body that I'm wearing works, you know. And anyway, so hopefully that will happen one day, Beverly, that we will, um, you know, it will make it important in our schools to know how our bodies work. Exactly. No one's ever taught about diet and nutrition and any of that stuff in school. And yet our physical body, when it gets sick and stops, you know, like your life's gone, right? It's the most important thing in life is yeah. to have health because without health, you can't make money. And, uh, you know, anyway, so I'm, I'm on a bit of a rant, brave. <laughs> what was your question again? <laughs> you asked me a good question and I can't remember. I was right. How do you help people with um, their thoughts and beliefs? Oh, their thoughts. Yeah. So I discovered that it is our thoughts and beliefs that creates the health or the dis-ease in your body. And I watched mum. Uh, you know, the day I was telling this to a girlfriend who came over the other night, actually, she kind of got let out from the 5K. And so she's like, yeah, I can come and see people. So she came over for a cup of tea and we got in, we got to chatting about all sorts of things. And I remember repeating this to her. And as I was, I was thinking, God, I haven't spoken about this for years. Um, I, I remember the day dad rang her from overseas. He was, he was, a, he was a businessman and he was, he was overseas a lot. And and so we, you know, we had a sort of dad that traveled a lot. It was just the way we grew up. And, and I remember the phone call and mum, mum had this phone call from dad late one night or, or early, I can't remember one day. And anyway, she didn't get out of bed. Might've been in the morning. I remember she didn't get out of bed and we were wondering why mum didn't get out of bed. And then all the friends sort of came over when, you know, with all the kids, all her friends and stuff, and they were all in her bedroom. And she wasn't getting out of bed. And I remember knocking on the bedroom door going, you know, what's wrong with mum? What's wrong with mum? And they're saying, stay out, stay out. Wow. You know, your mum's not well, your mum's not well. And what had happened was dad had rung her from overseas and said, I'm leaving you. I'm in love with another woman and I want a divorce. And she just didn't get out of bed after that. So she was already fraught with, you know, drama. They hated each other or trying to kill each other, but it just had a real blow to her ego and so she hated him she hated the woman that he left her for she hated herself she just she just hated herself to death and as she as she didn't have any forgiveness and just kept that resentment her body just started to break down you know as we as we indulge in never negative thinking we have no idea usually most people the detriment that that's having to our physical, not just our energetic structure, because the energetic structure 
creates the physical structure. So as we, you know, um, work in the world of the energetic structure, which is thought energy and emotional energy, it informs the physical structure. It creates the manifestation of this physical world. That's why our thoughts create our world, right? It informs the astral or the higher realms. As you imagine, you create. And then as you bring that imagination into a more of a reality, more of you keep thinking something and, and start to believe it, you start to manifest that in your physical world. And that's what she did with her health. She It took her, as I said, about five years to hate herself to death. And at 50, she died riddled with cancer. And so she was a great teacher uh, about how our thoughts create our reality. So when you don't feel good, when you when you have a negative thought, you don't feel good. And that and those emotions are informing us about how we are flowing our energy. So she had the opportunity to let go of hate, hatred and resentment and to move on with her life and and you know forgive the husband and forgive the young wife that she was left for and forgive herself and she had a, an opportunity to clean up her own behavior and her own thinking but she didn't and uh you know they say that sometimes teachers are either a terrible warning or a glowing example well she was a terrible warning but in that she was also one of my best teachers and I soon, well, I wouldn't say soon, but I realized later on down my spiritual journey that there was a contract between us from our broader perspective, from our soul's perspective, that she would awaken me because I would come into this world as a teacher and a healer. But I first had to remember that. I had to remember my uh, a soul plan, as you say, that I talk about a lot, because before we come into each life, we have a desire of what we want to achieve in that life and we have a bit of a plan and then we come into this world and we have completely forgotten that plan and we have these sacred agreements with our soul family uh, that they will awaken us and mama um, has awakened me in so many ways so she reincarnated back into the body she's now an adult again now and when she was a baby she's a member of my family not my daughter when she was a baby, I was told that she was mum, you know, because I could feel her essence as I was holding the baby when the baby came out of hospital. And I thought, oh, isn't that nice? Mum's here to see the baby. And my guide said to me, no, that's not what you're experiencing, Karen. And I said, it's not. And they said, look into the baby's eyes. And so I remember looking down into the little baby's eyes that I was holding, and I just had this instant knowing, oh, you're back. <laughs> here you are again and uh, I, I was like oh wow this is going to be so interesting to see what you do with this life you know and as it has been and it continues to be really interesting to to be present in the two lives you know my one life her two lives and to see the decisions that she made in that life and how that's dovetailing with the decisions that she's making in this life and how the two lives are completely aligned and how the desires unfulfilled in one life are being fulfilled in another. It's really fascinating, Beverly. It really is. It shows us, you know, how we do it as well when you can witness it in another. Yeah. You know, I've been, um, I love the soul planning aspects and the contracts. And, um, you know, I believe that um, we choose our life, choose our parents for the 
lessons that we need to learn in this lifetime. And um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and when people are suffering, you know, it's it's a gift because the the people around them are usually learning lessons, whether it's compassion or empathy or forgiveness, right. things like that. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, so. I, I also read that um, when you were a young child, um, about 12, I think your um, babysitter or your stepbrother's babysitter gave you a palm reading um, because you were... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you read that bit on the website. Yeah. You know, uh, dad had left mum and he was shacked up with the new wife, um, the young wife. She was actually even pregnant before dad had even divorced mom. I remember dad came home one day and he's washing his hands in the sink and he's going, I'm a free man. I'm a free man. And I'm like, what? And and he he just got his divorce. And before he could even say boo, he was marrying the other one because she was about to have a baby. (laughs) So, so I lived with them for a while because mom and I had a fraught existence. Uh, And I remember having a big fight with mom and dad feeling very guilty for leaving his family behind sort of had an opportunity to, take on one of the children and and that was me for a short period of time and and I was there during the birth of my stepbrother and and um, for a couple of years is when he was a baby and so they had a young nanny living with us um, because they were both working parents she was trying to carve herself my stepmother was trying to carve a career out as a model and she wanted to be she wanted to be a radio like like what we're doing right she wanted to sort of interview people and I remember she was in the paper one day on the front page of the paper and it said move over David Frost do you remember who David Frost was he was a UK interviewer yeah do you remember him I think he's dead now uh, and she had she had desires to sort of do that. So they were working parents. So they had this nanny, and she was cooking dinner one night, and she said to me, oh, "Karen, I'll I'll give you a I'll do a reading on you." She was obviously psychic, and I said, "You what?" And she said, oh, let, "Give me your palm. I'll read your hand." And so she did, and she told me three things that had me running to my room screaming. She said, "When you grow up, you'll be a teacher." And you won't get married until you're 28 and you won't get married and have a child until you're 28. So teacher, marriage, baby, right? And I remember the 12-year-old me thought that 28 was like ancient, <laughs> so old. Like, oh, you're halfway in the grave. You mean I won't get married till I'm 28? It's like I'll be dead when I'm 28. That's what the 12-year-old me thought. And the teacher thought that it was like a math teacher or geography or, you know, history teacher or school teacher. And mm. this dyslexic child that loathed school thought that that was the worst thing anyone could ever tell me. So I was completely horrified by this psychic reading, but she was spot on. Uh, I actually got married at 27 because I tried to make her wrong. Isn't that funny? I had kept that reading like I had kept that with me, but she was right. I had a baby when I was 28, got married at 27. So she was pretty spot on, but it horrified the 12 year old me. Yeah. Funny, isn't it? And when (laughs) I'm just smiling, you know, just absorbing the fact that you said that your mother is your daughter, you know, your baby. So not my daughter. Not she's even, not my daughter. No, no, she's not my when daughter. When you look in the child's eye, so it's a daughter of a friend, I'm assuming, or how did you know? This? Yeah, yeah, she's a daughter of a family member. Yeah. And um, how how have your roles been? You know, does your mother remember that 
she was no no and you're not she doesn't remember me and I and I'm I'm not going to tell her until she's ready she asked me one day she came to live with me for a couple of years actually because uh, her parents had moved to the country and she was studying in Sydney and so she came to live with me and she asked me one day she said I don't remember who I was in a past life and I looked at her I looked at her and I said well we're not supposed to that's the plan mm-hmm. and, and she goes huh <laughs> and uh one day I might tell her she probably knows um yeah but it was well, it, you know like there's a if you if you're privy to this information you have to you have to know what the soul is wanting because the reason that we don't remember our past lives there is a there is a plan and and so that we can identify with the role that we're playing at the time we're playing it and not get too caught up with who we've been before you know i've i've been many people in my past lives and when i've asked my guides i had memories of being around in a specific time that changed the world and um, I had all these memories of, of being there. And I asked my guides, who was I? Who was I? Like, what, what was I doing? Who, you know, I asked all these questions from my linear, curious mind. And my guide said to me, it's not important who you were. It's just not important who you were. It's only important that you live in this moment and be who you are now. Um, you'll know when you, you'll know when it's time for you to know. Uh, and then I had a reading with someone I had on the show and he blurted out who I was, which was somebody who was quite famous in history, was quite famous in history. And I said, huh, my guides wouldn't tell me that. But it's interesting since he told me, I'm still not really interesting, interested in looking up this person or knowing about who they are. I have reached a stage where I have I've kind of, it isn't important. What is important is that in that lifetime, I made a commitment. I had a spiritual teacher and I carried his message and I made a commitment in that lifetime to carry this message throughout all my other lifetimes. And it's what I'm still doing today. So who we are as identity, it's not really important. It's only what we are choosing in each lifetime, the decisions that we're making, how we're and how we're implementing those decisions, how we're playing out those decisions, the identity things, not that important. So maybe when she's reached that stage in her life where she's not wrapped up in identity, I'll let her know. But at the moment, it would affect her too much. She might have a million questions that might disturb the life that she's doing now. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. And I think sometimes as we come through the veil of forgetfulness, it's probably a good idea to forget so you can just focus on what you need to learn in this lifetime and you know she's gotten a role as your mum and um, you mentioned you had two brothers when your mum died are they older or younger like did they um where where did you live when your mum died and were you present at her death no she, she was um she was at a stage where uh she died in the middle of the night and I'm pretty sure I have no <laughs> I have no physical uh, evidence of this but I'm pretty sure that the nurses were compassionate and they just kind of gave her a bit of an overdose of morphine at this point she'd been completely um, she had so many drugs so much morphine that she wasn't she was no longer present consciously she was just sort of like uh, just sort of like 
crazy. Like, I don't even know, just not present. You couldn't communicate with her. She didn't know you were there. She had just the drugs that sort of ruined her mind. Like the will, I, 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 you know, I can feel what she was going through. She was feeling guilty for dying and leaving her young children, even though we were teenagers. And that, that guilt was sort of keeping her alive, even though it was well past her due date. It's like, you can go now, you can go now, but no, I've got to stay here and look after my children, even though she couldn't. She was in hospitals, no way. But, you know, those thoughts that we have as we're humans. So I, I think that she was really suffering. And I think that the nurses kind of maybe when they gave her her drip, her, her opium, uh, what do you call it? The opium, the stuff they give you for pain. They probably just, you know, put a little bit more in and it just, pardon? Morphine. Morphine, yeah. That probably, morphine, yeah. That probably sent her on her way. Uh, and so uh, we were living, so we were living in, in a house, uh, the three of us, and dad had obviously moved out. His his second wife had left him by that stage. Uh, she was only with him for a few years. And, um uh, yeah, they had to sell the house to pay the death taxes. In those days, there were death taxes, so we had to sell the house. And uh, and then I moved back in with my father, which was not a good idea because he was miserable because his wife had left him and then his ex-wife had died and uh, he was feeling miserable. So he was pretty violent and that didn't last long. So, yeah, I, I had a, a fraught childhood with running away from home and sleeping in parks and being beaten up by my father and my mother dying. And I had a really fun time. But I say to all light workers, you know, we come in and healers, especially we come into this world to be of service and we've really got to know what we're working with. <laughs> and so we usually pick we usually pick families and timelines and lineages that are fraught with distortion and as light workers and healers we come in to clean up that distortion so the unforgiveness that my mother couldn't do in this lifetime I'm doing you know I forgave my father and um, for, for beating me up and I asked him for my forgiveness in my part in it you know I'm the one that's cleaning up the distortion. And as I clean up all the resentment and the hatred and stuff, I'm doing it for my whole family line. And because we're all one and we're all connected, and so I'm doing it for humanity. So as I forgive people and, re and return to love, that's how we change the world. You know, that's how we clean up the distortion on planet Earth. It's really an inside job and it's, it's each person one at a time. So we can't put ourselves out there as teachers and light workers and have any sort of distortion still, you know, hate our father or, un, you know, have unforgiveness of what we've been through, whether we've been beaten and raped or discarded and abandoned, doesn't matter. We've, you know, we've chosen those experiences from our soul's perspective because we wanted to understand what forgiveness is and how to return to love. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, so a lot of healers have experienced a lot of trauma in their earlier days. And uh, I, I work with a lot of, you know, I, I work with the teachers and the healers in my business. And some of them have been through the most horrendous things you can't imagine. And coming to a place of uh, uh, taking that responsibility that they've designed that is not easy, but possible. I remember having this conversation with a friend who who works as a healer and she knows she's a galactic and she's here to bring through, you know, codes and song lines and she's connected to her galactic family. And, and yet her past was so fraught with violence and abuse. And it, it took, it's taken her a couple of years, but she's moved into a place of understanding. Oh yeah. I was the architect. I was the designer of this. You know, I wasn't a victim of it. 
I was the designer of this. I chose this. And when you know that you choose things and that you design things, you take your power back. You cannot feel powerful when you're living as a victim. You just can't. The blame game is the biggest game on planet Earth. You know, we like to blame things for what we're going through. And it's still playing out as we look at what's happening globally. We're blaming some thing that's outside ourselves that's going to attack us and make us sick. And yet illness is never an outside job. Illness is always an inside job. So depending on how you think and feel and how you flow your energy will depend on how your immune system works. And if your immune system doesn't work very well and you catch, you know, a cold or something like that, actually that's not even how health works. You never catch anything. Um, <laughs> that's, a longer, that's a longer conversation than we've got time for today. But everything that we create is created within our own being and our own consciousness. Nothing is happening to us. We are happening to this world. This world isn't happening to us. And that's, that's empowerment. That's personal empowerment. That's mastery when you understand that. And that's why I've, I've said this a lot lately in my shows and on other people's shows. That's why someone who was a master soul like Jesus could walk amongst the lepers that were considered so contagious and feel no fear because he understood that, you know, there is no such thing as contagion. There is only energy and vibration. And when you vibrate at a certain frequency, energy that vibrates at a completely different frequency cannot touch you in any way. And even that was illustrated with Princess Lady Diana. I can't say that she was an enlightened being, but she just got sick of the BS, you know, in the 80s when the AIDS epidemic was happening and everyone was so fearful and she went into hospital and started shaking hands and hugging AIDS patients and demonstrated that fearlessness, you know. And uh, so I think that that's what we have to be. Yeah, that's what we have to be now. We have to demonstrate fearlessness yeah. and understand that love is the only is the guiding force in our life, and love creates our reality. Well, love is our reality, and remember to return to love and not be scared about anything that's happening in this world. Mm. Exactly, I totally agree with absolutely everything you said, and especially how we've got to go through the dramas and do the clearing up ourselves. You know, no matter how small we perceive something or large because we all experience things in different ways from our cultural and belief systems and our upbringing so what could be awful to me might be oh nothing to you and so forth but you know it's our views on things and I used to be nicknamed the healer of healers in um, France because I like you I've seen people that they pour their hearts out to me because as a healer, you know, it's who do you confide in? Who do you go to? And, you know, I must have had big shoulders because the word got out and they were all coming to me. And you talk about love and return to love. <clears throat> and, you know, love is all that is. And on that note, why don't you tell us about your book about returning to love and awakened by death? How did you create that? What well, Amongst the many psychics that gave me messages when I was young, uh, you know, they told me that I would be a writer and I'd write books. And I'm like, I don't even read books. How can I? And I, I you know, I can't read or write. I'm not going to be writing some books. Anyway, so years later, I was sort of stressing over it. 
and thought, um, I wanted to make a movie that would change the world. I remember sitting on the couch one day thinking, how do I do that? I don't know anything about movie making. I don't know how to make money. Um, but I'd really like to put out messages of hope and, and to heal people. I'd really like to make some sort of media that would heal people. Obviously, it's long before the podcast show. And I was stressing about it. And my guides just said to me, oh, God, Karen, get over yourself. Just write something down. Just start with that. Just stop stressing about how and just sit and write something. And so I just sat at the computer and I thought, well, what will I write about? Like, what will I, what would I write? And they said, write about what you know. And I thought to myself, you know what I know? I know about death because pretty much everyone in my life had died and every single person had said from the other, from the other worlds, we're not dead. <laughs> Started with mum. And then I had a girlfriend that was born thalidomide affected and she died in her 40s. You know, remember thalidomide? She was born yeah. deformed and my, my best friend committed suicide and another friend of mine died of cancer, best friend. And so like they were dropping like flies. So I knew a lot about death. And so I remember my guide said to me, just write about what you know. I thought, well, I know about death. They said, write about that. So I just sat at the computer and started writing. And honestly, Beverly, it took me two weeks to just like, bang, the book was there in two weeks, wow. but it took me about two years to edit it and fuss over it and like, and like choose a cover, you know, when you're in that brain energy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was so sort of scared that it, the, the, the punctuation wasn't right and the spelling wasn't right because I just didn't know about any of that stuff. And so I had it edited by a few people. And obviously when it came back edited and I would read it, I wouldn't know if it sounded or if it looked right. I wouldn't know. I'm different today. I'm different today, but in those days. So uh, Return to Love was about returning to love of our source. Like you can return to love by dying or you can return to love by making a decision to return to love while you're still physically focused. So uh, I think the, the catchphrase on the first book, Return to Love, is, um, you, you know, you can return. I can't remember it. So I, I wrote it like almost 20 years ago now, but something like you'll return to love when you return to spirit or something, but you don't have to die to get there. Something like that, you know, returning to love is a choice, but you'll definitely do that when you die, but you don't have to die to get there. Something like that. So it's, um, it's a bit similar to the awakened by death. It's my experiences with my friends and mother who had died and came back to tell me they weren't dead and some stories around that. And then I asked a couple of other people to share their stories and I popped that in the book too. So it's a bit similar to Awakened by Death uh, in that it's a compilation of stories which talks about death and who we are, you know, beyond the veil and how that understanding who we are as this brilliant, pure positive energy can affect our lives while we're still physically focused and we can return to that brilliance. Mm. Fabulous. And tell us about your... Um creation with the awakening soul series because i know you've got some amazing uh dying well i had some ideas to put out a few books and i um have been trying for the last four years to get book two up and running by getting people's stories because their books they're other people's stories and people will go yeah yeah i'll write my story i'll tell you my story and they just don't get it. they just don't <laughs> i think i've got half i asked for 12 stories and so I, I spent a good couple of years, you know, asking people for their stories to write them. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I haven't seemed to be able to get people to actually write the stories even when they commit to. So I've, um, I've really shelved the Awakening Soul series at this stage. I keep thinking I'll pick it back up because it doesn't make me money. I do it for free. Like I do the shows for free. I mean, how much work, how much time can you spend working and not getting paid? Um, 
it's a lot of work to edit books and, you know, edit people's stories and compile it. It's, it's actually a lot more work for me than the, a podcast. I find podcasting really easy to share people's stories just in video audio format than I do in print format. I find the whole print game, it's not really my game. Some people just love writing and love reading. It's not really my forte. Uh, I had a girlfriend that came to me with the idea and um, she used to help people write their books. And um, I said, yeah, I'll do this. And then she pulled out of the project. And then I, I asked somebody else to help me with all the editing because, you know, that's not my forte. And, and he did the first book, Awakened by Death. That was Cyrus Kirkpatrick because he was actually working as an editor in his, um, in his paid work, his full-time work. But he, he's an astral traveler and his story is in the book Awakened by Death because he, he can leave his body at will and he has this second, he calls it second earth. He has this whole life in an astral earth, which is a complete replica of earth, and, but it's an astral earth. And a lot of people go to this place when they die because they're, they're not really finished with the earth plane. They want to, like my girlfriend Nikki who died, the thalidomide one, she had said to me when she was... Um, alive that her biggest desire was to travel the world but because she was so sick she couldn't because she couldn't get health insurance and so she never did she did a little bit when she was a child with her parents but when she died she did that she traveled the world in on second earth so she fulfilled a desire unfulfilled in physical life she fulfilled it in this astral world and uh, so it's really interesting how we can do that uh, yeah and uh, so, yeah, Cyrus helped me with that. And then I've got a few people helping me with the second book, uh, which is about people's generic spiritual awakening experiences. And then I have a couple of ideas of getting a book up and running with just angel stories, like angel encounters and angel stories, how angels have helped us, because the angels have asked me to share their messages more. And, uh, and then ET encounters. I wanted to compile a book with people who have had ET encounters and all that's on the back burner. It's all there waiting for me to pick up one day. <laughs> one day at a time. Because I know you're super One day busy. at a time. Yeah, I know you're super busy with your podcast. So do you want to tell people how to get hold of you? And I know you do a lot of teaching and involve speakers on that as well, like a membership site that you have for people to learn from you and from amazing speakers. Yeah, so we have the Awakened, uh, sorry, the Inner Sanctum, which is our weekly online sessions. They're, um, they're not structured. I just turn up, people turn up. We just chat about what we want to chat about at the time. Once a month, I'll invite someone from the show to come and meet the tribe and just share their story. And then the tribe gets to quiz them and meet them and talk to them. It's all pretty relaxed. It's not really structured. I keep thinking I should do more structured teaching you know, how to meet your spirit guides, how to become a deliberate creator. And I keep having these ideas of doing that year by year by year, but I never do. <laughs> so I like to just go with the flow. It's the way I run my show too. I don't set questions. I just show up. I might look at a video or two about people or meet them like I've met you and get to know them a little. And then I just like to have a conversation and, and let the conversation unfold just like you do when you meet people. And it's all pretty relaxed. But people love to share their stories. So, um, yeah, I let people share their stories. And then the two of us just sort of get yakking about, like you and I are doing now, just get yakking about the stuff that they've talked about. And I'm always full of a million questions. I always have been as a child. 
you know, asking my parents all these questions they couldn't answer. Well, I'm still like that now, nearly 60. I'm still full of a million questions. And uh, so it's easy for me to, when people speak, I'll go, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. You know, it's just easy for me. It's just natural. Uh, I'm so, I just find people fascinating. One of the most inspiring people I ever met was Patch Adams. Remember the movie Patch Adams by Robin Williams played Patch Adams. The real Dr. Patch Adams, the real, it was a great movie, wasn't it? The real Patch Adams was one of the most inspiring people I've ever met. He's like about six foot six. He's a he's a bit of a character and looks like a clown and uh, has this long gray hair, half of it's blue. And he said to me, uh, I don't believe in a God. He said, people are my God and I believe in people. And I loved that. I remember thinking, yeah, right? People are God. And so they are and they're fascinating so people fascinate me and I often think of stopping the show and concentrating more on my teaching but I just love people aren't you just fascinated by people I just love hearing people's stories sharing their stories quizzing them about their lives it's just something I just love doing and um, it's not a paid gig I don't get paid for the show and if anyone goes into podcasting wanting to monetize it I would say forget it (laughs) (laughs) I'd say forget it. Uh, the only way I've known people have made money is if, if you become super, super duper, you know, famous as a podcaster, which some people have, and you've got millions of um, followers, you could probably make money that way. Uh, but I don't have millions of followers. I only have thousands of followers. And the people that follow me are all the teachers. I attract the teachers and the healers and um, so I, I attract a, a certain quality of people that listen to the show. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of teachers and healers. There's a lot of spiritual people out there, but there's different levels of experience. And there are some people that aren't ready for much of the content that I put out because they haven't sort of wrapped their linear minds around it yet. They can't make sense of it. You know, so there's certain levels to our spiritual experience, certain graduations you know you wake up to something and then you can't think of something else and then you go okay that makes sense to me now and you start expanding and awakening and awakening and becoming aware and aware and aware more aware of who we are as these multi-dimensional infinite intelligent infinite creative beings and um, and all things are possible but for the linear mind that's very rooted in limitation sometimes you hit those walls where you think nah that can't be right that can't be possible so yeah yeah I I totally um, resonate with you because I'm completely fascinated by people. Um, For years, people have nagged me to do podcasts and I used to run holistic events and people are like, why aren't you recording this? I'm putting it out for everybody to see. And um, I don't know, someone even started a YouTube channel for me um, in 2013 and it just sat there for years and it's only like the last year yeah. I started doing it because you know I'm so I get so super excited I love to know how people click I love to hear about their lives I love to um, you know know about them and seriously know about them and find out about their culture and everything like that so in that respect I'm like you and there is a saying when the master's ready, the teacher appears. And even though you're attracting teachers, right. we all have something else to learn. And there's another saying, we, yeah. teach, we teach what we need to learn. So 
recently I've been looking at, well, what am I teaching? Okay, do I really, uh, what's the lesson for me here, you know? And um, I guess with both of us, we can say, yes, we're amazing podcasters and we can manifest money to be paid for our shows because we're both attracting amazing people and we deserve, why not? You know, it's, um, I know there's a belief with a lot of um, spiritual people, holistic people that they don't deserve the money, you know, because we're not doing an office job or something like that. But I believe that we deserve to be paid with our time, our energy, and I know it will happen. And I know the same will happen for you because people are happy with our services and, you know, that we're here to help help them. And it's like breathing in, breathing out. It's essential for life because we're here to serve. Yeah, I never went into podcasting to make money. I, I felt passionate that um, the world was being hypnotized by fear porn through our media system. And I really went on radio like 12 years ago to teach deliberate creation and, and empower people because as we turn on our TVs and our radios and our computers and social media and mo most of the stuff that's out there is, is all fear-based because we're so, as humans, we're so focused on what is and what's going wrong. Even if we're well-meaning healers, uh, a lot of healers are healing from the um, from the level of the problem and not the level of the solution. You know, the three steps to the creative process are ask, orchestrate and allow. And the asking part of the creative process is when the drama happens in our life, when we get sick or we get divorced or the world goes to chaos and we, you know, mandate, we, we lose our jobs and mandates happen and all this stuff. And so as we bump up against contrast, we scream out for something else. And so you'll see that across the world. If you just look on social media now, you see people across the world screaming for freedom, right? Freedom, freedom, like they're all over the world. So that's the first step of the, that's the first step of the creative process. But that is not the step that will get you what you want. But that's the step that most people are in when they're in their drama. They're asking for something different, but they're focused on the drama. And that's what's happening in our world. Like everyone's asking for freedom, but they're focused on how they're not free. And they're speaking about it at, at nauseam on podcast shows. And isn't this terrible that this is a terrible, it's terrible. It's, and as we flow our focus into life and observe and speak about it and we just recreate we reprint we repattern the same energy so we have to know how to flow our focus towards what we want like what does freedom feel like what does freedom taste like what does freedom look like and flow our powerful powers of attention and focus towards what we want and so when I went on radio that was the message I wanted to teach people I wanted them to, to turn off the television and stop flowing their powerful focus and, and powers of creation powers of attention towards the dramas in our world even if they look at it because they feel compassionate and they want to help as you get upset about what's happening in your world you're not in an energy or a vibration to affect change and uh, and then anyway, and so I was on a radio station that didn't have a three second delay as I would ask people to ring up and ask questions. And so I started having conversations with um, with teachers and other with other healers and, and started sharing their stories. 
and nearly 12 years later, I'm still doing it. But I never went into it, Beverly, to make money. I only ever went into it to be of service to humanity. The way I make money is I make money from my sessions and from my groups and my teaching. And I'm happy with that. I don't need to make money from the podcast show and I'm not even going to try. In fact, I've turned off all the advertising on all my platforms which has stopped YouTube from sharing my shows because they want to make money from me, right? And if they're not making money from me, they're not interested in sharing my shows. But I find the advertising on YouTube so annoying when you get into a conversation and then some ad for a car pops up in the middle of the conversation. And that's not why I put out the podcast shows. It's not about making money or selling people anything. Um, So that's why I've been talking to you about alternative platforms, right? Uh, there are yeah. other alternative platforms that are not based in commerce and and you can share freely without advertising being all over your stuff. And yeah, I, I, and I also believe, and it took me a long time to arrive at this, that I will be provided for abundantly. All I need to do is align with that energy and not worry too much about making money. So if I spend half my week or a good portion of my work working for no money, I'm still provided for abundantly and money comes when I need it. When I want something to do, money's there to provide for what I need to do. So I don't stress too much about making money. I have aligned I have aligned with abundance. And sometimes I look in the bank, I've got no money. Go, oh, I've got no money. I should probably do something about that. And then a whole lot of people book in for sessions and I go, oh, okay. And it happens all the time. Like I just don't think about it. It's not a conscious thing. I worry about money just isn't I was talking to my friend David do you know David about that he's a businessman and his business has been doing really well in the last couple of years with all the lockdowns he usually travels the world with his business and he couldn't do that and we were talking about being unplugged from the matrix and he's like all the people that that work for him are like oh you know all this money's coming in isn't it great And he's like "Eh, he doesn't care it's like when you get unplugged it comes it goes who cares? You know, it's yeah. not the reason for us enjoying our life. And we get so caught up that money and success are the reasons that we can feel good or happy. And that's not what life's about. Life's about service. Life's about feeling good because you're tapped into who you are, which feels good. And then from that place, you give because it just feels so natural to give. Yeah. And, and so that's, um, that's what I do with my shows says twelve twelve here alignment alignment, yeah, so that's what I teach too. I had someone reach out to me today to put me on to put her on my show, and she teaches spiritual entrepreneurs how to be successful and make money, and it's so not the message it's so not my message, and she sent me this message saying, oh i've been your shows are fabulous, I'm really aligned with your shows." <laughs> And I said, oh, that's lovely. Which shows have you watched and which was your favourite? Because people reach out to you, you'll find this, who say, I really love your shows and I've never watched a show. (laughs) (laughs) They're only interested in being on your show because they want to sell their business. And that's not what I'm about. I'm not about selling people's businesses. I'm about sharing love and people's stories. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. And for years I've done free everything. Like tonight I've got a free meditation and wellness circle and um, I, I, I always say to people, I give my talents and skills with love and I'm wonderfully blessed financially because like you, it will come from other ways, you know, and the main thing is to be of service. And when you're of service, magical things happen. I was just making a joke 
when I was saying about money will come, we are deserving, but the money will come in whichever way it's meant to come, you know, for the podcast. And um, do you want to tell the audience how they can get hold of you? Yeah, sure. My website is karenswain.com. You'll find everything on there. You'll see the shows, ATP Media, which stands for Accentuate the Positive Media, the Inner Sanctum of the online groups, the weekly online groups. I used to do them on a Monday morning here, which was a Sunday afternoon in the UK. Uh, US because I attract a lot of American most people that watch my shows are in the states according to the YouTube algorithms anyway I don't know about the audio podcasts but um, so I've changed that to Sunday morning so that a lot of Australians can join who had nine to five jobs and they couldn't do a Monday morning and so Sunday mornings I'm online every week and that's a Saturday afternoon or evening for people in the states and a Saturday night for people in Europe we have people from all over the place uh, I've got one girl in Singapore, but it's 5 a.m. in the morning. She never actually comes online live because it's a bit early. But it's hard to find a time that reaches everybody all over the world where we could all come together because of all the time zones. And sometimes we've got people in Canada and um, sometimes we've got people in New Zealand. So it's sort of later for people in New Zealand. I think they're two or three hours ahead of us, aren't they? Yeah. So anyway, it's all on the website, karenswain.com. Uh, my teachings, my shows, my online sessions, all there. Yeah, but I have different websites for the show. I've got a separate website, but you can get to it from currentswing.com that has all the shows and categories because I've been doing them for so long, I had to start putting them in categories. So if you're interested in energy healing, for instance, you can go to that website and you can click on the energy and you'll see all the energy healers that I've had on the show or, or channelers or people that talk about ET and extra dimensional experience or near-death experience or afterlife um yeah so i've tried to categorize them for people because there's so many if they're just if they're interested in a specific topic yeah sometimes yeah. as i speak to people that can't like find a category how do i find a category i just put inspire inspirational people <laughs> i put them <laughs> under the category of inspire inspirational but uh it's been a it's been a long journey and it's been a fun journey it's been really fun and just like you said before beverly uh, I thought I knew a thing or two, you know, because I put myself out there as a teacher. I've been teaching deliberate creation now for like 20 years, uh, healing for longer. And um, I thought I knew a thing or two. But then as you speak to people over the years and you hear their stories and you hear their spiritual work and, it, you know, there are some that have just blown my mind and, and have awakened me to even more possibility of what who we are and what's possible in the universe and and that has been a really fun journey. So it's been as fun for me talking to these people as it has for the people listening uh, to yeah. their journeys. And, and that's been, yeah, it's been wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you're very infectious and bubbly and it's really lovely. And I um, really enjoy looking at your website. For the listeners, it's so easy to navigate. I love the little circles that you can just click on and, the speakers that you've had have been truly amazing. And I have listened to a few, quite a few of your shows and for different reasons, for different ones. And, you know, I love Aaron Abke. I'm not sure if I pronounced it properly, but he's yeah, and, you know, Robert. Yeah, he, he calls himself Aaron. 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 <laughs> Robert who? He calls himself Aaron. Americans, it's like double A. And he still says Aaron instead of 
Aaron, I'm like, go figure. But he's one of my favourites too. I have a, I have a real affection for Aaron. I'm, apart from him being a gorgeous young man, he's just he's such an incredible spiritual young spiritual teacher. I just, I just love Aaron, um, yeah. or Aaron. And what was the other one? Robert Schwartz was it? Robert yeah. Schwartz. Yeah. Robert Schwartz is yeah. interesting with his. Yeah. They they like talking. Yeah, he's fascinating. Took me years. They're like chalk and cheese. They are personality <laughs> way. Took me years to put Robert on the show because he kind of has like, <laughs> sorry, Robert, but he kind of has no personality. He's very deadpan. And as you say, I'm very animated and, <clears throat> and I'm like, do I want to put this guy on the show? That's my linear mind speaking, my ego mind, right? Because his yeah. work is so important. His work is so profound. And uh, I'd actually met him. We, we both spoke at a conference a few years ago. And and then when I did eventually get him on the show years after I met him, uh, I, I I don't know we were discussing about something and he revealed that he is desperately shy, like he's off the Richter scale for shyness. So this sort of deadpan, no personality experience that you have with him was actually his shyness speaking. And when I found out that, my heart just melted and I felt so terrible for criticising him for having no personality because it's his shyness because he just sort of, you know, just talks like that, doesn't move his face. (laughs) But it's actually shyness. And he's spoken across the world to thousands of people. And, and so regardless of his shyness, he does his work in spite of it. And, and I really felt so honoured to, to have spoken with him and to, to understand that, that about him, you know, that even though he has this great challenge to overcome, it doesn't stop him from sharing his work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we finish, because I know the time's dwindling away, I just wanted to go back and say I totally agree with you about learning biology at a much deeper level and health and well-being in school because I did biology yeah I did biology in school O level and um, it wasn't until I did my nursing that I really got in-depth knowledge and then went on to do my sports training massage training and aromatherapy you learn all the body systems and it's fascinating when you realize about it because your body is your temple, you know, we, this is the thing that's carrying us. And also I've been fascinated about breath, you know, breathing and, you know, breath is so vital to life. And yet people, the majority of the universe don't know how to breathe properly. And when you look at what's been happening globally at the moment, it's affecting our lungs and our breathing, yet people still won't take the time to learn how to breathe properly because dysfunctional breathing can cause so many diseases. And if people just realize that, I always say to people, you don't have the time not to learn how to breathe if you want to live a happy, fulfilled life. And when you talked about freedom, as you spoke earlier, everything is an inside job. And I believe, you know, we have to take responsibility, our share of responsibility for what's happening in the world as well, because our thoughts right. create what we're all thinking. So at one level, I believe, I, I personally think that everybody's been having thoughts of fear and something has happened to say, right, now mm-hmm. you've got something to be fearful from. And the list goes on on top of that. But 
It's like when Nelson Mandela was in prison, you know, people can take everything away from you, but they can't take away what's happening inside your mind. So we can find freedom in both. I experienced long lockdowns in France and here, and I've had so many people saying to me, oh, isn't it terrible? Isn't it terrible? No, I'm really happy and I'm enjoying it. I've enjoyed the time to do some work on myself and be alone and be in nature. You know, we can all go out for lovely walks in nature. I've always said the best things in life are free. Just go and sit in nature. Mother nature teaches us so much and just looking at the sunrise, sunset, the seasons and so forth. I can talk about our strip, but when you listen, you know, nature talks to you as well, you know, so we're, we're in a wonderful position to now start anew and recreate our lives. And you talked about Aaron being a young spiritual person. <laughs> Since I've been in Australia, I've been attracting all these amazing young people that are speaking the truth. I know, and they're fabulous. You know, you and I yeah. have done the blueprint, you know, when I was younger getting into it, people used to think meditation was a bit loopy and reiki, even myself, because I had like a religious background, you know, it was seen as woo-woo. But now they, they've, it's like they've got an, uh, an open canvas, do what you like, say what you like, and it's all coming from the heart and so beautiful, the heart space that they can just flow with it and bring it forward. So I'm keeping my fingers and toes crossed that, you know, we'll witness this wonderful um, shift with love and compassion and empathy and caring, respect for Mother Earth, respect for yourself. Because as you say, we have to do the work on ourselves. And I say to people, you know, over the years, people are like, how can you do another course or, you know, I say you got to keep peeling away the layers. You know, I'm not at the level of Dalai Lama or someone like that, far from it. So until I can raise my vibration and clean all my baggage, I'm going to keep doing the work on myself. And I know you, yeah. you are very similar. Yeah, I'll have to introduce you to the beautiful Tania Castillo, who lives in Portugal. She's an, another gorgeous master here on earth and uh, she speaks a lot about breath and I think you'd love her to, to have her on your show. I'll introduce you to her. Uh, we co-hosted the Higher Self Expo with Zane Daniel recently together. I got her involved in that. But she's a beautiful, she's a beautiful, she, she'll be a great asset to your show. I mean, there's many people I could introduce you to, but it just reminded me as you spoke about the breath. But, yeah, yeah I know the. I used to live up on the northern beaches <clears throat> Palm Beach, Well Beach, and life brought me back into the Sydney to Sydney in 2012, and I was blown away at the amount of consciousness that was happening in Sydney and, and the young people that had all woken up and that were doing things. And I, I, I'm just, you know, as much as I would prefer probably to live in Byron Bay or a well back at Well Beach, I'm in the city, and there's just so much consciousness happening with the younger generation here in the city it's just expanding so exponentially it's amazing yeah yeah it's amazing and for uh, people that are listening on your show I'll be having Beverly on my show towards the end of the year and we'll explore your star your story darling one thank you and um, thank you so much Karen uh, I'm pronouncing it wrong Ka 
run because uh, I know you must have <laughs> deliberately gave you this name with a K-A to be pronounced as a hard K-A, so to open up our hearts. I don't know if you want to quickly elaborate on that before we say our goodbyes, but thank you, thank you for all the wonderful work that you're doing to help humanity to evolve. You're just amazing. And thank you for giving up your precious time to come on my show. I'm very grateful. Oh, it's been it's been a it's been an honor. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you.